We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we get started. Father, Lord, we love you. We do thank you for who you are. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. And Lord, we thank you for your provision uh, for our families and for our church and for our salvation through Christ Jesus. And, and Lord, I, I do pray uh, specifically this morning for uh, those that are unable to be here due to illness. And I, I pray, God, that you bless them and give them a peace. And we pray for Arlene this morning, Lord, that you would continue to be with her and, and watch over her and and God, just give her uh, the strength and the peace to know that you are sovereign over all things, even our own bodies and our own hearts. And so, Lord, I just I pray for her and I ask that you uh, use this time, uh, Lord, to, to draw her closer to you and, and even draw her husband closer to you, Lord. And so, we just ask that you use this message this morning. May it be your truth of your word and may you be glorified and honored and may you use me and empower me and fill me with the Holy Spirit that in spite of myself, you may still use me, Lord. And I ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we're continuing through uh, uh, the book of 1 Peter, and we'll now be settling down in chapter 2. We finished up with chapter 1 two weeks ago. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked, if you remember, at, at, at Peter's principles to love fervently the brethren. And so we saw that... Um, a purified heart results in love. And so when we have become uh, born again, when God saves us, He gives us a purified heart. And that always results in love for the brethren. And so that was our first point that we looked at. And then we looked at a soul is a result, a saved soul is always a result of God. It's not in ourselves and our own abilities that, that we... Uh, become saved, but it's God who saves us through the, through the power and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then finally we notice that a dependency on God's Word is vital. And all of these uh, passages that we looked at two weeks ago really help tie into today's message. It really brings it all together in light. And here in this last point, the dependency on God's Word is vital is again reigning throughout this passage we'll be looking at today. This week, Peter's still giving those imperatives to the Christians of, of that day and of this day, and he's trying to encourage those, and he's trying to encourage us to keep strong in the faith and to keep growing into mature Christians. You know, as we become believers... We are considered children, babes in Christ. And as we grow in our relationship with God, hopefully we grow into mature Christians. Ones that make an impact for the cause and the sake of Christ. And so that's what he's doing. He's encouraging them. And then as we've looked at our outline, we've looked at uh, Peter's prayer of thanksgiving in the first section. We've looked at Peter's praise of proven faith and in his plea to holy living. And then we looked at the proclamation uh, to fear the Lord. And then two weeks ago, we looked at Peter's principles to love fervently. And this week, we'll look at Peter's prescriptions to grow in the faith. 
He gives us a prescription that we must take off unholy things in verse 1. He gives us a prescription that we must develop a desire for the Word of God in verse 2. And then lastly, we must uh, take this prescription to taste the kindness of the Lord in, in the last verse, verse 3. And so this is where we're at on our outline as up today. And I repeat these every week because I want us to try to memorize these as we look at the first section, Peter's response to the Christian's salvation. And so when we are in our daily lives and when we're interacting with people or we have a problem or someone else has a problem or someone just needs some direction from the Word of God, we'll be able to direct them through these outlines. You know, I put these outlines, I repeat them, I know it's redundant and reductive, but the reality is, is I want you to memorize it that way when somebody has a problem you can take them right to 1 Peter and you know where you're at and what's going on. And so that's why that's important. And so when we come to church on Sundays it's important that we take notes and we write those things down and so that we can be intentional about what we're doing so that when I, throughout our week we can be memorizing and, and use it for God's glory. Well let us get started this morning and jump right into our text if you will turn with me uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2 and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible and, and I would encourage you to bring your Bibles to church uh, so that you might be able to follow along in God's Word and it would also help you take notes right there is if you look in my Bible it's kind of crepid but um, on the sides I have every place the scriptures and the titles and so we see Peter's prayer of thanksgiving, Peter's praise of proving faith. That way when I get back to that, I'll be able to find out what's going on and I can remember because the reality is this is a big book. And once we get out of 1 Peter, it's going to be tough for you to remember everything we've talked about. And so taking notes, it's okay, it's okay to write and jot notes in your Bible. That's not a sin. And so anyways, uh, let's go right into the text this morning. If you will, turn with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. 1 to 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The big idea that we're going to be looking at today in these three uh, verses is, deals with delighting in the Word of God desiring God's Word. And I want to ask you a question this morning, and you just have to be honest with yourself. I, I had to sit back and ask myself this same question. And the question is this, do you this morning have a desire for God's Word? Do you every day of your life have a desire, a yearning for God's Word? Do you wish to open your Bible and listen to the words that God has spoken on a normal basis? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself right there in, the, in this quietness of your own heart is, when is the last time that you've sat down and you've opened your Bible and you've read it? And now I want to ask the question, do we desire the Word of God? Because the reality, the reality is this, the desire that one has for the Word of God is a fruit of a true, genuine, converted follower of Jesus Christ. 
Paul speaks about having a desire for the Word of God. We see it throughout all of the Bible. But Paul here says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Here in Romans 7.22, it's his delight to him to read and study the Word. Job says it this way, and I find it very interesting. I have treasured your words... I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job 32.12 And Jesus said it this way in John 8.31 If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. A true mark of a believer is a delight or a desire of God's word. Do you desire God's word today? Now listen, guys, I know that sometimes when I get up here and preach, I get passionate, and I get emotional, and I get fired up. But I really want you to ask yourself this question. Do you have a desire for God's Word? Do you long for it? Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to see what God has to say? Because the reality is the true mark of a believer is that we desire the Word of God. We should want to have fellowship with our Father. And listen, there's hope. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. Because the reality is, is we all go through different stages in our life where we're up and we're down. We're on an emotional roller coaster. And if you're here this morning as a Christian and you're struggling with desiring the Word of God, there's hope. Because Peter is going to give you prescriptions to help you heal yourself of this sickness. Because God wants us to desire His Word. You know, several weeks ago I felt like I had the flu and so I decided that, you know, I ought to probably go to the doctor so I don't get everybody in my family sick. And So I was just convinced in my heart that I had the flu. I fevered, the chills, the, you know, I was in the bed for like four days and I said, well, you know, I better go. And so I went and, and I sat in the doctor's office and waited, you know, it feels like ten hours you wait on the doctor to come in. And I'm sitting there and it's an hour and he comes in and he, he starts asking me all these questions about what's going on and how am I feeling and so I tell him and, and then he says, well, uh, antibiotics won't do anything for you, you're not sick. And I thought, wow, well, I've paid you for that. That's great news, you know. <laughs> But the reality is, he says, well, it's not that you're not sick. It's, it's the antibiotics is not going to cure your problem. And so he, he said, the medicine I want to give you is over the counter. He said, you can buy one, just go to the grocery store. But the other, I have to give you a prescription for it. And then when you go to the grocery store, they usually keep it behind the counter or whatever. And so I went to the grocery store there at Walden, and I went up to the, you know, the medicine, and I'm looking at this word, and I'm trying to match it because I can't pronounce it. You know, and I finally I pull the medicine off and, and then I go behind the counter and I ask the lady, I said, I got a prescription and she can't read it, I can't read it and I don't think we have that medicine. I said, well, I don't need to take it anyways. And so I decided that I would not take the prescription that the doctor had prescribed to me. And so that was my deal. Now, while I understand this illustration falls apart in so many ways, what I want you to understand is that Peter is giving you a prescription in which will help you begin to desire God's Word. So if you're here this morning and you say, I'm a Christian steward, I've, I've trusted in Jesus Christ, I believe in Jesus Christ, I just don't desire to read the Word. Because honestly, I can say I've been there. I've been there. But 
But Peter's going to give us a prescription to help us put away those things that prevent us from desiring the Word of God. Because there's things in our life, there's things that we do, then the reality is that prevent us from wanting to read the Word of God. And so he's going to prescribe us some things this morning. You can choose not to take the prescription like I did when I went to the doctor and when he gave it to me, or you can take it and begin the journey of allowing the Holy Spirit to remove things from your life that prevent you from desiring God's Word. We see, number one, that we must take off unholy things. Peter gives five prescriptions that will help us desire the Word of God. Now I understand that uh, we are all a work in progress, especially your pastor. And I know that there is none here sinless today. But these five things that Peter lists here are things that will draw us... Listen, the sins that he says are sins that will draw us away from fellowship in the community, the church, and also fellowship with God. And the old saying is this, is that sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And, and as I've grown in my walk, it's only been a few years, but I've really noticed that the more I'm in the Word of God, the less sin that I do in my life. And so, oh, it's a probably an old Chinese proverb or something, but the reality is it's true. Sin will keep us from this book. You know, when we sin, when we intentionally sin, what's the first thing we want to do? Separate ourselves from God. When the reality is, is that's the worst thing we could do. We need to draw closer to God when we're living in sin. Because God is the only way that we can be forgiven, cleansed, is Jesus. And so he says here in verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander... You know, therefore is always a, an important word in the Word of God. When studying the Word of God, especially. And so, do you remember the question that we must ask ourselves when we see the word therefore in Scripture? What do we ask ourselves? We ask ourselves, what is therefore, therefore? Okay? I know it sounds silly, but the reality is, is we, that's an important question when we study the Word of God. Why, why is therefore, therefore? Well, therefore, listen, always looks backwards to what was said to try to help us to understand what he's about to say. And so here Peter says, therefore, he's referring back to our message two weeks ago in verses 22 to 25 on loving the brethren fervently. And so Peter is drawing our attention to the fact that if you remember, we as Christians were saved with a seed that is imperishable, not perishable. This seed that saved you produced a new life in you. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, what is it, or 5.17, what does it tell us that happens when we are born again, when we get a new life, when we're born of this imperishable seed? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. You see, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, something happens inside, and we are a new creation in Christ. 
And so he is referring back to that. That we are born of an imperishable seed. Not perishable. Our salvation can't die. It can't be taken away. It will not perish. It's imperishable. And so one of the new things that uh, uh, a desire changes one of the new things that should come, but something else that should come should be a desire for God's Word. But the fact that Peter is addressing the issue, issues that need to be put off, seems to point to the idea that we have things in our life that help prevent us from desiring God's Word. And so here, uh, Peter begins his instructions. He says basically this. Now this is kind of my transliteration of the passage, but he says this. Because you were saved by a seed that is imperishable, and you have purified your souls by being obedient to the truth, which two weeks ago we agreed was the gospel of Jesus Christ, you should be putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. All of these things are things in our life that will help prevent us from desiring God's Word. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't need any help from desiring God's Word. I don't need any more sin in my life that helps prevent me from desiring God's Word. It's enough in what I have now to continue my desiring God's Word. Is to keep the sin out of my life, to try to... Focus on being holy before God. Putting aside is in the imperative. Well, most translators say that it's in the imperative. Most translators translate it in the imperative. You could probably give a good argument, but I, I believe, like most of the translators, that it is in the imperative. And so we've learned that an imperative is what? It's a command. It's simply something that we are told to do. And so many times when churches uh, do baptisms, okay, a lot of churches have a, a baptismal behind, and, and what do they do? They come to the church and they go in the changing room, they take off their clothes, they put on a robe, okay, and then they come in and they walk up and they get down and then they baptize them. By immersion, they put them under the water. And really in the New Testament, when we see baptism, it's always baptism by immersion. And so when they come up, what happens? They're soaking wet. And so typically they shoot out of this way and they go into that room. And then what do they do? They take off their wet, soaking robes. And they put on new clothes. Now I'm completely lost. <laughs> Memorized it too well. But they take this, these clothes off and they put new ones on. And that's the picture that Peter's trying to give us about taking off and putting on. It's replacing these things in our lives. When you and I become believers in Christ, listen, we need to take off those old wet clothes and replace them with new ones. We need to put off unholy habits and begin to put on holy habits that come with a new life in Christ. Now listen to me. I want you to understand this very clearly. If you try to live your life doing everything perfect, you will become weary. You know why? Because you can't become perfect. 
And every time you fail and every time you sin, you're going to have so much pressure on yourself that you won't know how to deal with it. And the first thing you're going to do is repel yourself from God. Listen, when I say we need to take off the unholy things of life, we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't do it so that we can become this supernatural Christian at the end of time when we see Jesus says, I'm perfected. No! We are perfected in Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so when God sees us and we are in Christ, He sees us as holy and righteous. But when we follow the laws of God, it puts us in a place that we can have joy in our life because God's way is the way that He's designed it so that we might have joy. So don't try to work yourself into some super Christian. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say God has given us a way and this way brings about joy within the community of Christ and within our relationship with Christ so that God can receive the most glory and honor for Himself. And so He says here, He says, put away all malice. All means all. Okay, and so there to me that means there's Different types of malice. All kinds of malice. And malice simply means this. Desiring with intent to harm someone. How is it today that you desire to harm someone? Are there relationships that you have in which you wish to see people harmed? Now that seems like a weird question, but the reality is it's in here for a reason. Evidently there's a problem And typically the same problems they have, the same problems I have, and the same problems I have typically are the same problems you have, which means we all have a problem with malice. Desiring to hurt someone. Okay, and so you may really desire to hurt someone physically, emotionally, and maybe even you desire to hurt your own self, but we need to remember we're all created in the image of God and therefore we all have value and we shouldn't desire at any point in our relationship with one another or with the Lord or even with ourselves to desire ourselves or harm one another because we all have value in Jesus. We shouldn't desire to do that. We are to remember... Love one another. Even if that person is living in habitual sin. Even if a person makes a public confession before a nation that they support sin. We should not desire to see them harmed. But we should love the sinner while we hate the sin. Because we are all sinners. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Some here may use one of the smallest tools in the body to lash out and hate and to hurt people. The tongue. James, if you recall, speaks about the power of this small vessel within our mouths and how devastating it can be to one another. He compares it to a small fire. And if a small fire, we live in the perfect place to use this illustration, gets lit in a dry land like this, what happens? It expands into a catastrophe. That's what the tongue does. Listen, the reality is this. Once that fire started, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to put it out. And I understand that. And so we have to be careful. Will we all make mistakes? Of course we will. But the reality is is we need to make sure 
that we're not living lives of malice, desiring with intent to be harmful to our brothers or sisters in Christ. I see this really in a lot of young people. We're growing up in a culture where, boy, kids are hateful. Now, I'm only 34. You are, some of you are much older than me and you've experienced life. That may be the way it just is across the board for kids. They're just hateful. They love to hurt one another. They have a desire inside to hurt. I guess it makes them feel like they're building themselves up. I don't know what it is. But Peter says this. He says, stop it. Stop. Stop hurting one another intentionally so that you can get a good feeling about yourself. We shouldn't say things to one another that bring them down. We should be lifting one another up. Encouraging. Lifting one another up in love and compassion and mercy and grace. Realizing that we are all in the same place. Fallen, separated from an eternal God in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I've been saved or you've been saved, we've received the same grace and the same mercy to be forgiven of our sins. And therefore, we need to be careful in what we say. Malice is a sickness that prevents us from desiring God's Word. And Peter prescribes us to put it off. He also speaks about deceit. Um, All of it. It speaks of doing or saying something in which you have an ulterior to motive. Have you ever done this? Have you ever... Deceive somebody, said something with ulterior motives. The reality is, I think if we can all just sit back for just a minute and think about our lives, we can all say, you know what, I've deceived somebody. I did something because I wanted something, or I did something so I could get a promotion. I was deceptive in how I did this. He's saying, put it off. Peter says something here that seems to tell us he wants us to put it off. He is giving you a prescription to remove yourselves from deceit so that you can begin to desire God's Word. Deceit, obviously, somehow is connected to our desire for God's Word. And when we deceive people, it hurts. Wouldn't you agree? If I deceived you, would you not say that it hurts you? And therefore, if I deceived you, it would separate us as fellowship. And therefore, last week we talked about loving fervently the brethren. Deception is not a way to show love fervently. And so we need to stop deceiving one another. We need to remove that. Pray about it. Ask God to help us if we're deceptive in our ways of talking and thinking. You know, as a fisherman, this really hit home to me because I'm a deceiver on a normal basis, at least when I fish. Every time I go fishing, I'm very deceitful. I do everything in my power and my ability to make that bait look just like the real thing. And then I throw it out there and I say, here, fishy. Well, maybe I don't do that, but... 
But I'm trying to make a point that my bait is not the real thing, but it's a replication of what I'm trying to make it look like, the real thing. And so when that, when that fish sees that bait and it looks real, sometimes you can even spray some stuff on it and it smells real. And I don't know, maybe it tastes real to them. When that fish bites that bait that looks just like the real thing, guess what? He's caught. And then he's in the boat. You see, this is the perfect picture of what deceit is. It's a bait that's put out to attract and then flipped with what reality is. It's trickery, dishonesty, falsehood. What is it that you are doing in your lives that is deceitful? See, I've had to evaluate my own self. You have to evaluate yourself. I can't answer that for you. What is it that you're doing in your life that is deceitful? Whatever it is, Paul says, as a Christian, born of this imperishable seed, purified in our spirit, we should be putting this off. We should be getting rid of it in our lives. He also speaks of this word hypocrisy. Being hypocrites. Now you know it's really sad, but the number one response that I get in sharing the gospel is this. I get, why would I want to go hang out with a bunch of hypocrites? I mean, if you've ever shared your faith, if you've ever invited anybody to church, you've heard that term. Why would I want to go out and hang out with a bunch of hypocrites? They live one way on Sunday and then throughout the week they live this way. They go to church on Sunday and then I see the way they live their lives throughout the week. I have no desire to be a part of that. You see, people in our culture, unbelievers, do you know what they want? They want to see authentic Christianity. And boy, we're not giving it to them very often. We withhold authentic Christianity because you know why? We haven't put off hypocrisy in our lives. We're all hypocrites at some point in our life, unfortunately, because we're fallen and we're in sin. But I think we can make a better effort, a better relying on the Spirit of God to remove this hypocrisy from our lives. Knowing that we are affecting the community that we live in with our lives. We're affecting the name of Christianity out there in the community. And especially within our own church. You see, when you claim to be a Christian, when you put your name and picture in light with Christ, and I can't remember your illustration, Shane, but Shane had a good point. When you put your name with Christianity, you're setting a higher standard. People look at you differently. They expect you to live differently. And when you don't, boy, it just confuses things. We are individually called to die to ourselves. You know, the reality is that's just the way it goes. People expect different. They're a sinner, you're a sinner. The only difference is you're saved by grace and you're struggling with sin just like they're struggling with sin. Except they're not convicted by it. You are. And you've been forgiven and they haven't. That's the message we give them when they say, Hey, you're hypocrites. Well, good. Come on in. You're a hypocrite too. Join the rest of us hypocrites. 
will give you the answer to how to be saved by grace through faith. And you can work on your hypocrisy just like I have to work on mine. You know, as your pastor, the reality is, is I'm expected to have higher standards by most people. I live in a glass house. But you know what? You and I are no different. I'm saved by the same Jesus you are, by the same blood, forgiven of the same sins. You're no different than I am, but I have to have a higher standard for some reason. You don't expect to find me in a bar getting drunk. You don't expect me to listen to some pagan music that speaks against the things that bring dishonor to God. You don't expect me to, to walk around speaking in a way that's not really glorifying to God, walking around cursing like a sailor. You don't expect me to stand out somewhere smoking it up, whether it's a cigarette or a joint. You expect a higher standard of your pastor. You don't expect, me to, you don't expect to come to my house for me to sit you down and, and, and indulge in with you an R-rated movie that brings dishonor to God, that teaches completely against His theology. You don't expect that of me. To watch some pagan movie. Because if I did do that, you'd call me a hypocrite. The question is this, if you and I are the same, same by the same Jesus, same by the same blood, then why am I expected to have higher standards than you? I expect you to have the same standards as I do. Not so I can look better before man, but so that I can glorify God. It's not about me becoming some super Christian. It's about me bringing honor to God. That's what our lives are about. We need to evaluate our lives. To make sure that we're not living lives of hypocrisy. Living in ways in which Peter commands us to put them away. Put them off. Hypocrites. We don't need to put standards on one... Well, let me say it this way. You don't need to put standards on me that you wouldn't put on yourself. Because we serve the same God. And He demands the same honor, the same glory, and the same praise as He demands from me. And I want to encourage you to set an example to the community. To set an example to one another. To hold one another accountable. To say, guys, hey, that's not... Listen, that's not biblical. I love you, brother. But you, by doing that, defame the name of Jesus Christ. We have to hold one another accountable. I'm a man that struggles with sin just like you and I live life thinking and wondering what God thinks of me. Well, He thinks of me as holy and perfect. And I follow, I try my best to follow His commands so that I might remain joyful. Not happy, joyful. I listened to a sermon last night. A man said, I'm not worried about your happiness, which I'm not. Happiness is cheap. And it's like this. But when we follow the laws of God, we remain in joy. 
in the Lord. Because it's His way, not our way. And when we follow His way, we can't help but have joy. An irremovable joy that helps us walk through daily lives. We are all ambassadors for Christ. And we need to think about what we are doing and how people around us view our lives because as Christians we are setting the example to the world around us that this is what Christianity looks like. When people see you as a Christian, they draw a picture of Christianity. And all I'm saying is when we walk out of these doors and we live our normal lives and we do things, we represent Christianity. And the question is, are we being hypocrites? Hypocrites. MacArthur says it like this, Hypocrisy speaks of any behavior that is not genuine or consistent with what one really believes or says he believes. Hypocrisy speaks of any behavior that is not genuine or consistent with what one really believes or says he believes. I don't know about you, but I say I believe in this Bible. And therefore, I must follow what it teaches. Because when I don't, I become a hypocrite. Am I a hypocrite? Yes. Because there's things in here that I struggle with on a daily basis. And all I'm saying is that we need to make sure that we're evaluating where we're at and the things we're doing so that we can bring the most honor to God and that we can remain joyful in the Lord. Put it off. He also speaks of envy. One who desires or begrudges one's success. I keep, th- and I don't know why, I, th- I keep thinking of this. But, you know, I've, I've, I had a hunting show. I, I watched a lot of hunting on TV. And it always seems like when I'm at somebody's house or they're at my house and we're watching TV, there's this underlying envy that these guys are shooting these big deer. It's like, man, I can let that one walk. You know, it's like almost a, a burning desire inside of envy because these guys are shooting these big animals or something, you know? But we're begrudging one success. We want to be whom God has called us to be, not somebody else. Or to have what somebody else has been given as a blessing from God. God blesses people differently. And just because He hasn't blessed some with less and some with more, the less shouldn't look at the more and go, I'm begrudging Him because He's got a big house and a nice car. And I'll work every day and, and struggle and, you know. The reality is God blesses people differently. In different ways. He blesses more with some more faith. He blesses some with more material things. So that they can honor Him by giving more. That's just the way the world works. That's the way God works. We don't need to begrudge someone else because of what they have or the success they have. Look at David and Bathsheba. Didn't David in some way envy what Uriah the Hittite had as a wife? When he was on that roof and he looked down and he said, That woman's fire. He desired something that someone else had. He envied what they have. And because of it, it caused a multitude of sins. Can't you envy someone's possessions? You know, I like to 
say this moment. Kids, look up here for me. Young people, look up here, especially the kids. Let's say one of your friends has an awesome toy. A cool toy. One that you'd really like to have. But you don't have one like it. But you'd sure like to have one. Do you know that desiring that toy so much that it can cause you to take that toy or steal that toy? You put it in your pocket and take it home with you? It's called envy. Desiring what someone else has so much that it causes you to sin. And you put it in your pocket. Maybe some of you have done that. I know as a young man growing up, I did that. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I envied Walmart. And I stole from Walmart. They had everything. And I had nothing. I needed that baseball mitt. I envied. But thank God He's forgiven me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. And if you've ever stolen kiddos... God can forgive you. All you have to do is ask. Repent and turn back to God. Envy, it's a, it's a bad thing. Look, God has blessed each person differently. And we shouldn't desire to have something that someone else has so much as it causes us to develop negativity toward them. There's nothing wrong with desiring nice things. I mean, I really like a Corvette. I, I really want a Corvette. Now, I don't walk around going, you know, John Doe has a Corvette. Boy, I, you know, I'm just so sick at my stomach because he's got one. I, I really want a Corvette. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I know I can't get one, but that's okay. But I'm not going to envy that person who has it. Because God has blessed us in different ways, at different times, in different parts of our lives. There's nothing wrong with desiring things in itself. But here Peter says no. Envy is no good. And he gives us another prescription to put away this unholy act of envy so that we can begin to desire God's... It's all about desiring God's Word in this passage. Don't miss that. And the last thing that he says is put away slander. Slander, I would say, is the biggest topic we've talked about today. It's a, it's a form of malice. Malice really, you could probably underlay everything we've talked about under malice. Because at some point, in some reason, in some way, it all refers back to evil or ill will. And so slander follows under that. But slander's simply gossip. Boy, it's so easy to get, it caught, get it caught up in gossip in our day. It is so easy. It just blindsides you. I mean, you'll be talking with somebody, next thing you know, bam! They're slandering somebody, and you're like, well, what do I say? Shut, I don't want to hear it. Be quiet. That's, that's how it works. It creeps in. Next thing you know, you're, you're in blatant gossip about somebody. For some reason, people just love to tell someone else's shortcomings. 
It's, it, it is just such a major part of our culture today. And everyone wants to know the latest and greatest gossip. I mean, I went up here to check my mail the other day and I get out of my truck and, man, I take two steps and there's this guy and he's sitting there and he walks up to this other guy and the guy goes, Hey, bud, what's the latest and greatest gossip? And I thought, you know, no offense women, but I always thought gossip was like a feminine thing. But the more I grow, I understand it's not a, it's not a woman thing, it's a people thing. It's a cultural thing. We want to know the latest and greatest gossip at the mail house. We want to talk about so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so all the time. Listen, like Bodhi says, if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. He started with therefore in this passage. And do you remember what he's talking about? Therefore, because of what? Verses 22 to 25. Do you remember what we talked about? Loving the brethren fervently. Gossip and slander is not uplifting. It's not encouraging. It's not even admonishing. It's blatant sin. In case you missed the memo. It's not uplifting and loving the brethren fervently. And I think at some point in time we are all guilty of gossip. And so, it's not a lash out on you. It's a lash out on us. The Word of God is spanking us right now. Because at some point in time we all like to gossip. Well, we just want people to know the truth. You know, I'm just, I'm just being honest here. Not really gossip if it's true, right? No. If it's knocking someone down and not lifting them up, then it's slander. Peter gives us this last prescription to take off slander. You know, slander, if you don't understand exactly what it is, it's this. It's, it's basically speaking about the defamation of character. It's the intent to slur or to smudge another one's character or to make them look bad in front of others. For what reason? To exalt ourselves. You know, as I stated, I said, what is the heart issue? What, I mean, what is really the heart issue of gossip? You may tell you what it is? Insecurity. Because if I say, so-and-so don't ever do anything right, He's always messing up. You know what I've done? I said, I do everything right. I've lifted myself up. And therefore, I have some type of internal insecurity that makes me want to knock other people down so I can feel highly exalted. Insecurity. But I don't know. That might not be the right answer. That's just one I came up with. It says this in James 1.26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight ring on his tongue, deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. I mean, just ponder that for a minute. If we don't keep a tight ring on our tongue, our religion is worthless. Now, that seems pretty important to me. It makes me think about. 
what I'm going to say or even what I'm going to listen to. Because I don't want the God of the universe to look down at me and think my religion is worthless or at least the people around me to think my religion is worthless. Most of these sins that Peter addresses here fall under Romans 1, 28-32. Now, I bring this up because I want you to understand. These are, these are not attributes of a Christian. They're in our lives, but we need to put them aside. We need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to, to make us more into the image of Christ and to put away those things that we struggle with. Because if it falls under Romans 1.28, I don't know if you remember, but here it, it, it's speaking about things, unholy things, that we are to put off, that God has commanded us, but most of these things are acts that those that God has turned over to a depraved mind do. Let me read the verse for you. 28 to 32, Romans 1. It says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, we don't see that in our culture, do we? I mean, it is rampant. People hate Jesus. They do not want to acknowledge God any longer. And so God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which were not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of what? Envy. There's one. Murder, strife. What? Deceit. There's another. Malice. They are gossips. There's another. 30, they're slanders. Haters of God. Arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. And they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They give hearty approval. You see malice, deceit, slander, hypocrisy, envy, all of those things are attributes of those who have been turned over to a depraved mind. You see why Peter says we got to put them off? Because we don't want to be put under that section. We don't want to be held in that class of people. We must put it off. You see, we can't go on doing these old un unholy things. And when we begin to put them off, following the prescriptions that Peter's given, it helps us to have a desire for God's Word. And so we must take off unholy things, but we also must develop a desire for God's Word. Yesterday was my anniversary, or a couple days ago. When I wrote this, it was yesterday. <laughs> Ten years ago, I married this beautiful lady sitting in the front row. And so we celebrated that. 
We took the kids over to Shane and Missy's because we, you know, they have a lot of kids. We have a lot of kids, and it's not too big of a burden. They already got so many, we just put ours with them too. <laughs> they just mingle right together, don't even know they're there. And so we took the kids over there, and before we left uh, to go out to dinner at Lindy's, Claire decided she wanted to show me the baby horse. And so I went out and, and went out to the horse pen or whatever you call it. You know, sorry, I don't know horse stuff too well. But I, there was this, well, I mean, to me it didn't look like a baby. To me it looked like a four-year-old horse. I mean, it was about that tall. So I go out there and I look at this, this baby horse. And, and let me tell you, that baby would not stop following mama around. You couldn't get... She was pulling it and it was trying to get over to mama and mama would walk this way and the baby would walk that way and the baby would walk this way and it was just like, what is the baby doing? Well, everywhere mama went, the horse went and so when the, what the baby was doing was trying to get milk. trying to eat. It could have been because protection reasons and all that, but the baby wanted to eat. Because every time Mama stopped, he'd go underneath Mama and start getting some milk. Now, obviously the horse didn't scream and fight. But I've had enough children to know that a newborn baby in the home wants to eat. And when they want to eat, let me tell you, they kick they scream, they throw their hands around or whatever it is because they want the pure milk that mom has to give them. He says in verse 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. God calls us to put away all of these sins in our lives. But He gives us a replacement. And the replacement is His Word. One that will nourish us. And just like newborn babies, we should begin to long for this pure milk. This is why I say it's a fruit of conversion. Because when a baby comes out, you ain't got to tell him to scream for milk. He just does it. And if you did tell him, he wouldn't understand English quite yet anyways. And when we're born again, born into the body of Christ, when our heart is regenerated, guess what? We can't help but have this longing. The pure milk. But you see, we have these things that keep us from desiring them. Sins. Like babies, we need to long for it. We need to have a desire for it. Not only that, it's a command. It's in the imperative. Long is in the imperative. I think it said on here, I was reading earlier, it said crave. You know, when you're sick, you don't really have the desire to eat. But unless you eat you will not get better. Not eating doesn't do you any good. 
So we can be sitting here this morning and we can say, ouch on envy, ouch on slander, ouch on all of the other sins that we listed out of the five. And we can say, ouch, 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 and never eat of God's Word and remain right where we're at. Sick. But once we begin to long for the pure milk, once we begin to pray and God begins to remove those obstacles, we begin to have this longing for the milk of the truth of the Word of God. And when we start eating of it, we start getting better. We start being healed. We start looking more like the image of Jesus Christ. We begin the growth in our sanctification. Unless you begin to eat... In the pure milk, the word, you will remain sick in your sin and become tired and useless for the kingdom of God. Longing for this milk gives the idea of a Christian parent that longs for their rebellious child to come back to Christ, to come back to Jesus Christ. Listen, as a, as a parent, I can think of no other thing that I would desire more than to see my kids walk with Christ. But the reality is, is when they get as old as some of your kids are, they may walk away from the faith. But there always will be a desire and a long to see those kids come back to Jesus Christ. That's the long we should have for the pure milk of the Word. It also... Uh, gives the idea of a, uh, a person that who isn't eaten and has this craving for food. I think about Jesus as He was pushed into the wilderness and He fasted for 40 days. He probably had a pretty good longing for food. But what did He say? Man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We should crave the Word. Do you long for it like that? Do you have that desire? The desire for the Word of God is always essential to spiritual growth within our Christian walk. He didn't tell you to read or memorize or study or so on and so on right here. He just simply says desire. Now I know Scripture teaches us to do those things throughout, but here He's wanting to draw the attention that we must desire. Because you know what? We're humans. We do what we desire to do. If you're hungry, you eat. If you want to go to a movie, you eat. But it takes a desire to make that happen. And if we don't desire the Word of God, guess what? We don't read it. And if you're not reading the Word, then that means you don't desire it. And if you're not desiring it, that means sin's preventing you from doing it. And if you're not reading it and you're not desiring it and you have sin, then Peter says, put it off. Why? So that you can desire. And you can grow. Peter is making it clear that longing for the Word is vital, folks. It's vital to our spiritual growth because when we long for something... We do it. Let us look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, it's a, it's a fairly large chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing. But if you will, turn to Psalm 119. And, and starting at verse 97, I want to read to you here what it says. It says this, Oh, how I love your law. <laughs> 
It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditations. I understand more than the age because I've observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil walk that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinance. For you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey on my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. We need to desire the Word for the purpose of growing spiritually into mature Christians, or mature, however you pronounce it. You see, salvation brings about a change. And growth is vital in that change. And Peter is always talking about new birth, new birth this, new birth that. We see it in, in chapter 1, verse 23. You've been born again, he says. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, God has caused us to what? To be born again. Born, babies. It is on the forefront of Peter's mind to talk about babies and milk and new birth. Listen, if you have a child and that child is a baby and you expect that baby to grow, you expect him to walk. You expect him to take steps. But guess what? If he's a young child, he walks and he falls and he gets up. He's learning how to walk. But if that child's five years old, he stands up, he falls down, he stands up and falls down, you'd say he's got a problem. He's got a growth problem. We need to get him checked out. If you're here this morning and you really don't have a desire for the Word of God, you have no growth, you really don't care, then listen, I would say that you need to ask yourself, have you tasted of the goodness of God? We must thirdly taste of the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ and His goodness. It's conditional. When I read this, it's, it, it says to me, that only when I have tasted of goodness and the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ is it possible for me to put these things off and to desire the Word of God. That's why I said we must taste. Psalm 34.8 says this. Psalm 34.8 It says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. You see, once you've tasted, you can't help go back for more. It's so good. We need it more and more. But I wonder, this morning, have you ever tasted of the kindness of the Lord? A goodness that brings you to a place where you desire more and more. You can't get enough. Some don't desire because they're wrapped up in sin. They are sick and they can't eat. And they are in need of it, but they can't, they can't because they've never tasted it. They don't desire it. And so the milk, and therefore they don't even know what they're missing out on. But listen, 
If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, if you'll just taste a piece of this pure milk that Jesus Christ offers and simply open up the book of truth and begin to taste. It may not taste perfect at first, but just beginning out of obedience, begin to read the Word and God will give it to you like honey. It will begin to taste good. We need to be as children and learn to take this pure milk of the Word. And when you taste it, you will become coming back for more. Let us as Christians to desire the Word, to listen to the precepts that help us to do that. Trusting not in ourselves, but in the work of the Spirit of God to remove this unholiness from our lives that prevents us from desiring God's Word. Let us pray.